but my identity is in Christ. But a lot of times in church, what we do is we, we actually try to neutralize identity because we can make it bad. We end up saying that, that it's all bad and, and you're not supposed to have an image or an identity at all. But God created us to have an image. God created us to have an identity. It's not about losing our identity. It's not about losing our image. It is actually about lining ourselves up with the identity and the image that we are supposed to have. So some neutral identities that I have. Neutral, not good, not bad, just indifference. What I do with them. Some identities that I have. I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a son. I am a pastor, I'm a leader, I'm a soccer referee. I am a soccer coach, I'm a soccer assistant coach, which is easier than being the soccer head coach. And, and, but I am also a soccer player, but I'm a goalkeeper. So that has a different identity than field players. I am a substitute teacher. I am a church planning director. I have all these different identities that can shape and form and pull me. And, 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 and th- those are all neutral. There's nothing good. There's nothing bad about those. It's what I do with them. However, we can give our identity over to things that will just absolutely wreck and ruin us. Call those things like alcoholism. Workaholic. Drug addict, sex addict, other gender addict, stuff addict, keep up with the Joneses addict. You know, all these things that we can tie our identity up in and actually end up just warping our identity in such a way that we don't realize there's actually another identity that we are intended to have. The key isn't losing our identity. The key is aligning our identity up with the one that God intended us to have to begin with. You know, as being a parent of, of four boys underneath six, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting to start seeing the identity that each one of them have and how, how each of those identities are sh- being shaped and being fold- molded, and, 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 and how like, they're like truly mini-me's. You're like, a part of my identity is with this one, and then another part of my identity is with this other one. And like, there are two different parts of my identity, and they're in two different people. How'd that work, you know? And how that, I mean, I know how that works, okay? You don't, don't, but anyway, but... You're just like, wow, and if you've been there, you understand that, and, and you're watching that, and some of you, you know, uh, on down the road with the parenting have seen maybe your own kid hijack their own image and see how they weren't, aren't living the image that God intended for them, and you felt that. And that's what God feels with us and experiences with us when we hijack our own image and allow sin to hijack our own image. And quite frankly, with me, with one of my you know, varying images, uh, recently I've let that image, that neutral image, seep into and allow that, that identity to seep into a negative and allow titles and roles and, and, and wanting to look good and things like that to start forming and shaping my identity. And we can look, do a lot of things just to look good and have a good identity with people. And how do we reclaim that and see God reclaim that? 
And did, did, did God speak to this? In fact, he gave us an entire book of the Bible. As Phil talked about earlier, uh, the book Ephesians. It's right smack dab in the middle of the New Testament. Uh, kind of a smaller book, so if you're just kind of flipping through, you'll miss it. But, but uh, <coughs> it's a book written by Paul. Uh, uh, and, and he wrote to the church at Ephesus, a church that he started. He actually spent three years with them, probably longer than any other church that he spent with them. And uh, that actually became really a central hub of Paul's church planting efforts um, after, after he left Antioch. And so what, what, what was the town of Ephesus? The town of Ephesus was, was one of the largest cities of that day, 250,000 people, just a little bit bigger than the metropolitan area of Springfield. And you're like, well, Springfield's not really that big by world standards today. How on earth was Ephesus? Well, that was a time before New York City. You know, there weren't millions and millions and millions of people living in one metropolitan area. So 250,000 people was, was one of the largest uh, uh, cities of that day in the known world. And it was right on a harbor, right on the sea, and, and there were roads leading into Ephesus, and, and, and people, it, it was of trading, and the economic and rich community because of the economics and the trade. And the roads came in bringing goods, and the, and the sea sent goods out, and the sea brought goods in and went out, and, and really a lot of the people formed their identity around riches and money. Doesn't sound familiar in our culture, does it? And then they also form their identity around idols. And in fact, these two uh, intersected. Their money and their idols intersected to create one of the eight wonders of the world, Temple of Diana. If you're going to make an, a wonder of the world, you've got to have some bling. Right? You've got to have some money. You've got to be able to fund that type of project. You know, the pyramids just didn't poof and appear. Great Wall of China, got to have funding from somewhere. And so Paul went in and established his church. And after he left, some of the greatest leaders the church has ever known, guys like John and Timothy, led the church in Ephesus. Guys that wrote the Bible and the Bible was written about led the church of Ephesus. But also they're people. People that struggled. People that struggled giving up idols. People that struggled and where money fit in and their image and, and their identity. And, 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 and it used to be here in the idols and it used to be in the commerce and it used to be in the leading. And, and what is this supposed to be now? And when Paul was in prison... He wrote back to this church that he founded in Ephesus to teach them about the identity God wants them to have. And in this entire, this series, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. It goes through the first three chapters of Paul talking about the identity that they are supposed to have. Ephesians 1, 1 and 2, I'm going to throw the, the words up on the screen. But if you have a tablet or a smartphone, you can follow along with the Bible app. I recommend that you download that. We put a live event on there so that you can follow along on, uh, with the verses. But, you know, <clears throat> if you've got a hardcover cover Bible, you can open to that as well. You can either turn on or turn in your Bibles, all right? This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. 
Paul starts off the very first sentence of his letter identifying who he is, giving us his identity, but not just any identity, the identity that he has by the will of God, that he is an apostle by the will of God. We'll talk more about apostle actually in the next series that we have several weeks from now, but, but he is an apostle. He knows and he is confident of who he is by God's will. And that's what this entire book is about. Who are you by God's will? Paul tells us who he is. And the underlying question is, who are you by God's will? Who is the church of Ephesus? Who is the individuals in that church? Who is the church of Cross Point? Who is the individuals in this church? And if you're just coming in, you're just checking this thing out, who are you by God's will? Even if you do not believe in God, and you're just here for whatever reason, You showed up this morning. You are somebody by God's will. And this entire series, this entire book is designed for every one of us to figure that out. Not that we're creating this on our own, but we're figuring out who we are by God's will. And Paul then gives them two basic foundational uh, identities that they have. They're opposite sides of the same coin. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. <coughs> Two opposite sides of the same coin. They're God's holy people. They are faithful followers. And in, in other translations, instead of holy people, they say, you are saints. I'm writing to the saints in Ephesus. And so for most of you, you just check out at that point in time. I'm not a saint. That's some dead dude they've made a picture of. He's kind of glowing. He has a halo. You know, that sort of thing. I'm not a saint. There's no way I can be a saint. You've got to do miracles while on this earth. I've never healed anybody. Then on top of that, you've got to do like two miracles after you're dead. I don't think I can pull that off. Even if I, I mean, I haven't done a miracle here on earth. So when I'm dead, how can I do a miracle? I, I just can't be a saint. So I guess Paul's not talking to me. But see, what that is, is taking this word that is in the Bible, hijacking it, twisting it, and then misapplying it. Who are saints? Faithful followers. And maybe you're saying, ha, there you go, that's where I'll get you. I'm not faithful. I mean, you know, I look faithful here on Sunday, because we all look faithful on Sunday, right? Throughout the week, I have ups and downs. So did the people in Ephesus. Paul is telling them what their identity is, whether they believe it or not, and whether they act like it or not. He's telling them what their identity is. So what is a saint? Saint is a holy person. Yeah, thanks, that's Brent. That doesn't tell me anything. A saint is somebody who is set aside for a unique purpose. I guarantee you, you have a utensil, you have an instrument in your home that is saintly. And I hope I can guarantee you that you used it this morning. You have an instrument in your house that's saintly, that you have set aside for a unique purpose. You know what that instrument is? It's your toothbrush. Your toothbrush. You have set aside your toothbrush as a saint. It is set aside for a unique purpose because its purpose is to brush your teeth, right? And if we get that mixed up, we run into problems. For instance, every once in a while, <clears throat> hasn't happened in a while. But every once in a while, 
I'll go in, not be paying attention to what I'm doing, grab Nicole's toothbrush and brush my teeth with her toothbrush. No, this isn't a pastor story. I'm telling the truth. For some odd reason, when she walks in and sees her toothbrush wet and she didn't create the wetness, she gets upset. She gets mad. She, she, she yells at me. And I'm, fra- I'm fragile. I'm fragile. And it's, it's rough. Why does she yell at me? Because it's her toothbrush, right? Because the emphasis on hers. It is set aside for her teeth. <clears throat> but if we, what if we put the emphasis on toothbrush? There's her toothbrush. And what if I used it now, this is a pastor story, okay? I'm not telling the truth here. What if I used it to clean my toilet? She would probably be at least equally upset to that, right? Why? Less emphasis on her. I mean, there's some there, but more emphasis on toothbrush. It's not toilet. It's toothbrush. It's my toothbrush, not toilet. You don't use it on a toilet. You use it on my teeth. We have set aside our toothbrush as a saint in our house because it is designed for our teeth alone. God does the same thing with us. He sets us aside as unique, as holy, for a special purpose that He has for us. We cannot, we cannot, go, uh, we cannot make it ourselves. We cannot be, dream big dreams. We just simply walk into that purpose. Like, I don't know what that is. You know how you find out? Other side of that coin. Faithful following today. Faithful following today. You follow God faithfully today. Not the purpose that's going to come to you and progressively be revealed each and every day. Let tomorrow be tomorrow. And let today be the day that you faithful follow and, and find out His purpose for you today. Because we can get so stuck in the future and finding out our purpose that we miss our purpose for today. And so our initial, our initial identity, our foundational identity is two sides of the same coin. Being a saint. And who does that? Who makes us a saint? Nadine, do you make yourself a saint? Steve, don't answer that. <laughs> We don't make ourselves a saint, right? God makes us saint. But who faithfully follows? We do. See this beautiful dance occurring with God? That we faithfully follow, but He makes us a saint. We cannot do it on our own. He does it. And this is actually the outline for His book, for His letter. The first three chapters are talking about what it means to be a saint and what the identity of a saint is. The last three chapters is just talking about what faithful following for a saint looks like. And that's going to be the next six-week series. We're going to spend 12 weeks in this book with two different series. One, talking all about what it means to be a saint and have this image and this identity of a saint. We're going to be heavy on grace. And then the second half flowing from that saintly identity, how do we faithfully follow? 
And so what does it look like to be a saint? What is that identity of being a saint? And what does God want us to know nearly 2,000 years later about our identity? Ephesians 1.3, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. The first thing that Paul, first thing that God, <coughs> excuse me, wants us to know about our identity is that we are blessed. We are blessed. We are blessed. We are blessed people. As saints, we are blessed. What has happened with Christianity is that we have tried to make converts and not disciples. And when we make converts, we try and get people to pray a prayer so that they can get to heaven. As if heaven is the blessing. But we can see it in this verse that heaven is not the blessing. Heaven is not the blessing. What are you saying? So who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms? Paul here, if heaven was the blessing, he would say it different. He would say, heaven is the blessing. So that God can bless you with every spiritual blessing by giving you heaven. That would mean that heaven was the blessing. But heaven is not the blessing. That's the place we receive the full blessing, but it's not the blessing. And so when we are trying to make converts and trying to get people to heaven and acting like that's the blessing... We're leading them actually down a path that God doesn't want them to go. Is heaven going to be great? Is it going to be wonderful? Yeah. But how great is the blessing going to be, the fact that the place of the blessing is so great? Right? That's the difference between a house and a home. House is the place that you have a home. What's the home? What's the home? But even right now, here on earth, another place, what does he want to do? Bless us with spiritual blessings from the heavenly realm. How did Jesus say it in his his prayer? Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They're merely places in which we receive the blessings of God. And so making disciples is actually making people into the identity that God intended for them from the beginning and making blessed people who will eventually receive the full blessing when they get to heaven. So let's take a look at the full blessing. Even before he made the world, capture that. Capture that. What he's about ready to tell us the first two blessings. He blessed us. He planned on blessing us like this. He did this before he made the sun, before he made the moon, before he made the stars, before he made water, before he made the earth, before he made animals, before he made Adam and Eve. He planned on blessing us this way before he made the earth and the world and the universe and creation. He loved us. He loved us. Our first blessing is that before he made the world, God loved us. You might be like, that's great, that's fantastic. No way that God that's fully holy ever loved me. You don't know what I did last night. 
You don't know what I did this morning. You don't know what I'm doing right now. There's no way that God would love me and know what I'm doing, what I've done. This is where a lot of times we uphold a fantastic theology, but we fail to give people theology inside of real world practicality. He loved us. Period. While we were willfully lured away to a brand new identity, He loved us. Before He made the world, He loved us. Most famous verse in the Bible tells us that, right? For He so loved the world. Right? He loved us. Next blessing. Before He made the world, He chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. He chose us to be holy. We already talked about holy. Set apart. Before He made the world, He set you apart and made you, whole, made you blameless, innocent before Him without fault in his eyes. When he looks at you, he sees no wrong. He sees no wrong. You're like, whoa, 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 hold on, bro. Like, we've just been through this. You don't know what I did last night. There's no way he sees no wrong in me. Well, we'll talk about in a moment that it's grace. He has blamelessness in abundance and he's giving it to his saints. Giving it to his saints. And, and as a saint, we are completely blameless before God. But I'm supposed to do something. No. I talked with somebody yesterday about how, how people are so driven to do that, that they say Jesus and this. No. Holiness and blamelessness cannot come from ourselves. They are a blessing of God alone. And that when we faithfully follow, we are a saint and saints are blessed with blamelessness no matter what we do. No matter what we do tomorrow, we have the tag in God's eyes, blameless, innocent. Next blessing. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. The next blessing is that he adopts us. When we are willfully lured away from his family, he adopts us back. He chooses to adopt us back. I used the New Living Translation and, and, and maybe for them to not, you know, not deal with theological battles, they didn't use this word, but other translations use the word predestined predestined and an election and choosing and, and some of you are all of a sudden getting sweaty palms because you've heard some of the theological debates and some of you are like, what are you talking about? You're better off. You have no idea what I'm talking about. We're like, how can, how can God predestine? How can God elect? How can God choose? A few notes about that. First of all, when I see, when I read through the Bible and I see, now I, I don't have the confession, I don't have the Bible memorized, okay? Right? 
when I have seen, when I have read and see the concept of election in the Bible, it is always from God's perspective of people. Not of our perspective of the world and our perspective of God. It's God's perspective of people. And here, Paul is writing about God's perspective of people, right? He's talking about what a saint looks like. So it's God's perspective of us. And so, therefore, it is something that we know and praise God about, but we don't quite fully understand. When Paul went to Corinthian, uh, Corinth to minister, God told him this. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Don't be afraid, speak out, don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack and harm you. For many people in this city belong to me. This is, this is the same concept. God's like, many, I have many people that belong to me. You don't know who they are, so you go ahead and go minister as if you don't know who they are, because you don't know who they are. Act like everybody is mine, and you just do your thing. But I have many people here for you to go find. So when it's from God's perspective of man, we praise God for that. But that's really all that we can do. And people have used this to, to superiority and, and lack of evangelism. They are not polar opposites at all. Paul believed in predestination and election. He wrote it in his book. If it's in the book, we have to deal with it. We also remember faithful followers. He equally has held two tensions together of faithful following and God choosing us. And it's something to praise God about, not get into theological debates about because when we start debating about it, we lose the awe and wonder of it. So choosing, what is this all about? Imagine LeBron James picking a basketball team for one game. You know, maybe Space Jam, like, you know, for the domination of the world type of thing, you know, or the salvation of the world type of thing. And, and LeBron James is picking a ba- basketball team or whatever generation you're from, Michael Jordan or Magic Johnson or Wilt Chamberlain, whichever, you know, guy you grew up watching. And, 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 and he calls you. LeBron James, he calls you. You get up, you answer the phone, and, and, and he's on the other, other end of the line and says, hey, this is LeBron James. What? This is LeBron James. At first you think it's your crazy Uncle uh, Eddie, you know, and, and he's trying to play a trick on you and, and get you all riled up. And, and, and you end up realizing, well, this must be LeBron James. And, and uh, Le- LeBron says, I am picking a basketball team. We're gonna, we have to save the world. We're, aliens are coming and we have to play basketball. And I'm gonna, I, I want you on my team. What will you do then? You'd probably try and talk him out of his decision. Like, you know, <clears throat> just white. You know, I'm, I've, I've got some issues here. I mean, I'm decently athletic, but when we're talking about, you know, um, six, seven masses of muscle and basketball ability, I, you know, that's, I can't do that. He's like, no, 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 I, I, I want you on my team, but here's, what, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give you my abilities. I'm going to give you my qualities. I'm going to give you everything about me. And, 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 and that is what you will play with. See, what, this is what it means to be chosen by God. Is that we are not worthy to be chosen by God. But um, he does that anyway. And then he gives us everything who he is in order to play with that. So instead of fighting about it, 
Let's just celebrate it and praise Him for it. And that what He chooses us to become is a part of His family and adopt us into His family. Adoption is much cooler than natural birth. You get to choose. Right? You get to choose. I'm adopted, by the way, so I can say that. But you get to choose. I don't care that you're an orphan. I don't care the past. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care why you've been given up. I don't care. I don't care. Come into my family. And maybe you're like, well, God kind of has to do that. He's God and kind of created us. So we kind of, he kind of has to do that. He didn't want to, but he has to. Okay? Paul has that argument too. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. I mean, there's no Greek behind this in order to get, get us to understand what this means. I mean, he wanted to do it. He wanted to adopt us, and it brings him joy that we are adopted into his family. God is joyful. You're in his family. And if you're not in his family, if you haven't followed, if you haven't made that decision, it joys him. It joys him that it is even possible for you to come into his family. It's his pleasure. Next blessing. So we praise God. Paul starts into this section where he's just praising God for his glorious grace. Grace is somebody with abundance giving to somebody in dire need, no matter if they deserve it or not. God has all this abundance, holiness, blamelessness, family, all this abundance, and he's given it to us, no matter if we deserve it or not. That he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. The next blessing is that we belong to Jesus. We are possessed by Jesus. And some of you, some of you are independent enough that you're like, nobody possesses me. Me. Now, but first of all, I mean, <clears throat> the dude rose from the grave. You might want to rethink your independence. But the possession is, 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 is like an older brother to a younger brother. The older brothers. I mean, you could pick on your younger brother, but, but somebody pick on them, it's going down, right? You, 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 that brother belongs to you belongs to your family. You're going to look out for him. You're going to protect him. You're going you're to do what it takes to make sure nobody jacks with your brother. The Bible says that we are co-heirs with Christ. He is our big brother. And he does the same thing for us. Nobody's going to jack with us because we belong to him. We are possessed by our older brother, Christ. Next blessing. He is so rich in kindness and grace. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. Any, any, any time somebody is kidnapped, what's required to get him back? A ransom, right? It's a ransom. Either money or death is required in order to get them back. The blessing of God is that he paid our ransom, that he purchased our freedom, 
that even though we were willfully lured away into a kidnapping of cosmic proportions, that we were willfully lured away, that He purchased our freedom because the only way to get out was death. He purchased our freedom by the death on His cross through His blood. That is the blessing of Christ, is that He purchased our freedom. Something we couldn't do ourselves because we weren't perfect. He did for us because He was. And He purchased our freedom. That was a blessing of Christ, blessing of God, of being in Christ. He purchased our freedom and forgave His sin. That's the next blessing. He forgave our sin, the sixth blessing. He forgave our sin. This is the one we lead with, right? Paul just kind of buries it in the middle. I was like, you're going to be holy? You're going to be blameless? You're adopted? Oh yeah, he's, he's going to forgive your sins. That's the one we lead with, but he just kind of buries it. We miss all of this when we lead with forgive heaven, forgive heaven, pray a prayer, forgiven heaven. When we lead with that, we lose all the holiness, all the blamelessness, all the adoption, all of this, all the purchasing, all of this. We lose all of that when we focus so much on one blessing, but only one blessing. Moving on. We're going to jump to 11 and then 14, and we'll come back to the middle. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. Another blessing is that we have received an inheritance. And really, the inheritance is all these blessings wrapped into a nice little package. But, but, but the blessing is an inheritance. We receive an inheritance from God, who owns everything, by the way. I mean, I don't know about your daddy, but that, your daddy don't own everything. Your daddy could own everything in Republic, but he still not own everything. And he gives us an inheritance, and that's a blessing. The Spirit, verse 14, is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised. The last blessing is his own spirit. It's his own presence. And you know what makes a house a home? Presence of the people. Presence of of the family makes a house a home. The house is just a place. The home is the presence of people inside of that place, inhabiting that place, and dwelling in that place. God gives us heaven as a place to enjoy His presence. The blessing is God's presence, not His stuff. See, we Americans, we like stuff, right? So therefore, we have turned everything of God's blessing into stuff, <clears throat> But the presence of God is the blessing that he wants to give to us. And all the other blessings flow from that, but the blessings are internal, intrinsic, not extrinsic. When we focus so much on extrinsic blessings, we set ourselves and God up for failure. Because God reigns, R-A-I-N-S. He reigns, sends bad stuff on the good people and the bad people. God shines His sun, sends good stuff on good people and bad people. Just look at Job. But Job knew that the blessing of God was intrinsic, not extrinsic. 
and that God is worthy to be praised whether he gives or takes away. And so when we tie God's blessings all up into if he's given us stuff or not, we are missing the true blessing of the intrinsic value of his blessings. And he has blessed us no matter if he, if the stuff that we have and the things that are happening to us, we see as good or bad. Some of you might be like, you know what? This is like the two o'clock dude yelling at me to buy his product, you know? Two o'clock in the morning dude. Like, it's going to bless our life and make our life so much easier. And this is too good to be true. And, and, and has God fallen off his rocker? He seems to be giving away the farm. And really that seems to be, you know, a low metaphor for this. And, 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 and is that true? And, 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 and does God really know what he's doing here? Does he really know what he's doing? And giving away so much stuff. Does he really know what, what he's doing? Paul has to answer that question. Verse 9. God has now revealed to us the mysterious plan regarding Christ. This mysterious plan isn't about that he's hiding it and keeping it a secret. Nah, 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 I have a secret. You don't. It's not about that. It's like he has this, 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 this plan in a can and it's closed. It's got a pop top. And, and the plan in the can, and, and he starts popping the top off. And he pops the top off just a little bit at creation. Pulls it back a little bit. And then when Adam and Eve sinned, he pulled it back a little bit. When he said there's going to be a guy that's going to come and, and, and squash the head of the serpent, pulls it back a little bit. When he calls Abraham, he pulls it back a little bit. When he, when he does his thing with David, he pulls it back a little bit. When Jesus shows up, he pulls it back a whole lot. So we can see in the can and see the plan in the can. But he continues to progressively reveal his mysterious plan just a little bit and a little bit and a little bit each day by day by day by day by day. He pulls back the top so that one day he opens up a full can. Pun intended. He opens up the full can so we can see the full plan and know what's going on. That's God's mystery that is progressively being revealed each and every day. What is the plan? A plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. Again, it's his joy that he's doing this plan. And this is the plan. This is the plan. This is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. The plan is is that he has made and he is making Christ the supreme authority over all of heaven and all of earth. This is the plan that we get to see in the can, pull it back day by day by day. And remember, we're set aside for a unique purpose. The purpose is, is that we are allowed to be a part of the story of God making Christ supreme over heaven and earth. We get to be a part of that story. He uses us to be a part of that story. But maybe this morning you're saying, ah, this Jesus thing, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't following, I ain't bowing the knee, I ain't doing that thing. Guess what? Still a part of the plan. Still a part of the plan. Your thing you're doing, part of the plan. It's part of the plan. You cannot come out from underneath part of the plan. You can ask, you can have God's presence. 
while he's doing the plan. Well, you cannot have God's presence while, while he's doing the plan. But you're part of the plan. So, let me ask you this. Do you want God's presence while he's doing the plan? Or do you not want God's presence while he's doing the plan? Because he's going to open up a can that has the full plan. And at that point in time, it's too late to decide if you want his presence or not. Let me ask you this. If you got stood up for a date, if you got stood up, and then that date came back to you and said, oh, I want to be in your presence again. I want to be in your presence. What are you going to do? What are you going to say? Uh-uh, right? You, you, no. You, 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 that ship done sailed. If we don't want God's presence now, why would God think we wanted his presence for all eternity if we didn't want it now his plan is that he is making and has made Christ supreme over everything so we either have his presence while he's doing it or we don't but we're a part of the plan but any plan is a good marketing strategy it's what companies do they create something it's a secret from the from from the public then they have a marketing strategy in order to get it out to people. God has a marketing strategy for this plan. Verse 12, God's purpose, the strategy, was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. God's marketing strategy is that he called aside Abraham and said, I'm going to make a nation out of you, the Jews. I'm going to make a nation out of you. What did, he tell, what did, he, what did God tell Abraham? And all nations will be blessed through your seed, through your people. All nations will be blessed. The Jews were the focus group. You know, a company, when they want to unveil something new, what do they do? They get a focus group together. They want to see if it's going to work. And then they're going to, when those people see how well it works and how good it is, those people, they want those people to then tell other people who don't know the plan of the company, they want them to tell other people so that those other people will do their product or have their product or buy their product. So God had this focus group called Jews. What were they supposed to do? Bring praise and glory to God. You know, we spiritualize praise and glory. We're like, oh, we praise and glorify God here. Like, what does that mean? Most of us probably have no idea. Praise, verbal assent to God is great. Glory, glory, visually representing God, making God visible. Praise, verbal, glory, really action-oriented, making God visible here on earth. The plan of God was that Jews focus group to praise and glorify out here on earth. And now you Gentiles, everybody that's not a Jew, everybody outside the focus group, have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. Jews and Gentiles have the Holy Spirit, the the same exact Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. So focus group, then boom, out. We're going to bless the nations through you, the Gentiles, through your people, through this people. A lot, of, a lot of times we might read this and go, Jew, Gentile, we're all Gentiles, so what does it mean for us? And, and, and so I think we can apply it this way. Religious, non-religious, fan, non-fan. Grew up in church, didn't grow up in church. 
But those of us who faithful follow and we are God's saint, we are the focus group. We are the focus group. There are people that God wants the focus group to let them know of his product. What's his product? His blessing. What's his blessing? His presence. We're not trying to get people to heaven. Will they? Yes. We want people to have God's presence. So that's what we are. God's little focus group. Well, this is marketing 101. If you've taken any marketing class, this is what they teach you. Wow, God created marketing too. That's amazing. We are his focus group. Why? How? Praise and glorify him. Verbally assent to his greatness and make him visible here on earth. This isn't about where God wants us to go. This isn't about a place. This isn't about showing up at church, a place. This isn't about showing up in heaven, a place. This is about the blessing of God and what God is doing in our life and if we have his presence or not. It doesn't matter how long you have faithfully followed. If you've done it for five seconds, you have his presence. So if you're here this morning and you're like, ah, done that all you say all you say is like God I get it I've been willfully lured away and I want your presence I want your blessing I want this life and as we sing a song those of you that are saints that are saints simply praise and glorify him through this song Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for all that you're doing. I pray, Lord, that the concept of being a saint just isn't a concept that, that it filters through our life and that we are amazed and that we, we, we are just absolutely and utterly shocked that, that, that we get to be this. I pray, Lord, that you will call people today to faithful following and they will follow. Remake our identity each and every day by drawing you, us, to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand with this. And like I said, man, if this, I hope that you're in awe of what God has done and the blessings he's given. Just belt it out. Let this be praise and glory, glorify for him, glory for him. If you need to talk with somebody, if you need to pray with somebody, I'm here, Shelly's here. Grab somebody you know. But otherwise, just consider what God is doing in your life and praise and glorify Him.